This special podcast episode is sponsored by Gilead Sciences and produced by Politico Studio. Ask any veteran of the fight against AIDS and HIV when they first felt the world was gaining ground against what had become a devastating epidemic. And they will say 1996. When we see each other again in the not-too-distant future, we can truly say that Vancouver 96 was a catalyst for change. Julio Montana at the 9th International AIDS Conference heralded the arrival of a new era for HIV treatment. And to be perfectly honest with you, uh, we did not even begin to comprehend uh, uh, the magnitude of, uh, of this breakthrough. A new combination of three antiretroviral drugs were at last proving effective against the virus. After Vancouver 96, death rates uh, for AIDS in the world, anywhere where the treatment was uh, uh, applied, dropped by about 90%. Up to that point, living with HIV almost always meant an early death. I had many opportunistic infections and I had to fight very hard to recover my health and during these years I lost many, many loved ones. Suddenly there was real hope for people living with the virus, like artist Tico Kerr. I immediately got on the new protease inhibitors and um, it totally changed my life. It brought me back immediately. Triple therapy, as the drugs became known, changed HIV infection from a life-threatening disease to a manageable chronic condition. And now the descendants of those three innovative drugs are at the forefront of the world's efforts to eliminate HIV entirely. Effective HIV therapy, taking virus levels to undetectable, turns off HIV transmission, makes individuals untransmittable to their partners. I'm David Baker, and for this special podcast, I'm going to be looking at how new treatments, new policies, and new attitudes to HIV are helping us get closer to a world without AIDS. In 1996, people who were working in infectious diseases, they could witness a real, real clinical miracle. Christina Mussini is Professor of Infectious Diseases at the University of Modena and Reggio Emilia in Italy and has been caring for people with HIV since 1988. Just from one day to another, we could see people that whose destiny was already defined, they would have died in a short period of time, restart living uh, thanks to antiretrovirals. Triple therapy had been shown to stop HIV replicating in patients' bodies. And unsurprisingly, there was a huge demand for it from people living with the virus. What happened in Italy was that there was a protest by the community in order to have access to treatment uh, because there was not such a um, production also of, of this medication at the beginning. And they were really, really expensive. So the Ministry of Health decided to buy the treatment for 800 people and to make them available only to those uh, who were really close to death. So we had this competitive enrollment and just to give you an idea, I had a discussion with one of my colleagues because I wanted to enroll one patient and he said, no, 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 he's far beyond. It's not possible. He, he is uh, on a wheelchair and he will die in a, in a very short period of time. So 
if we erode him, uh, since it's competitive, uh, we will take the place for someone else who could take advantage from the treatment. But actually, his wife uh, went to Switzerland, she bought uh, the treatment, and he started it, uh, and he survived 30 more years. Maria Jose Fuster remembers that year well. A professor of psychology at the National University of Distance Education in Madrid in Spain, and an HIV activist, she's been living with HIV for 34 years. And she can still clearly recall the drug regimes that people were on before the breakthrough of triple therapy. I have been taking antiretroviral daily treatment since my diagnosis. And the only treatment it was is sidovudine. Zidovudine, or AZT, was one of the first drugs used to treat HIV. But it came with often unbearable side effects, and people with HIV found themselves having to take more and more drugs each day to keep themselves well. My treatment has been modifying as it, as it has progressed from taking in the beginning the sidovudine alone to taking different combinations as new drugs arrived. Perhaps the most intense period was when I took 28 pills per day, more or less. Triple therapy cut that number of pills down radically. And then I took two, <laughs> two pills. Today's treatments go even further. Not only can people with HIV stay alive and well, says Christina Mussini, they can live a full and normal life. Because treatments keep what is called the viral load, the amount of virus in someone's bloodstream, at such a low level that they can't pass HIV onto anyone else. It has a huge implication concerning the stigma, concerning everything. You know why? Because there's the possibility uh, for people living with HIV to live a normal sexual life. That means you don't have to use condom anymore uh, because there's no transmission. When your viral load is below the limit of detection in the plasma, you don't transmit the infection. And also you have a normal, if you are a woman or a man, uh, a normal reproductive life. So you could also, you know, get pregnant on a natural way, so without using condoms. Uh, you can have a vaginal delivery. I mean, before, in order to decrease the risk of transmission to the baby, uh, there was, it was suggested the C-section while now it's uh, absolutely, you, use, uh, you give indication to C-section only for OB reason, uh, obstetrician reason, non, not for HIV. And, uh, you know, there are, in, in Africa they are starting to breastfeed. So I think that uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a huge step uh, towards uh, normalization of uh, the life of people living with HIV. That ability of the drugs to prevent transmission of the virus is at the core of what are known as the world's 95-95-95 goals, which are aimed at eradicating HIV by 2030. The target is to have 95% of people living with HIV tested and knowing their status, 95% of those on treatment, and 95% of those with an undetectable and therefore uninfectious viral load. Europe has been leading the way in meeting these goals, but for it and the world to get there, we're going to need not only greater access to testing, diagnosis and treatment, but new treatments too. 
Getting to those goals has been challenging all around the world. And I applaud Europe on the, uh, on the number of countries in Europe who have leaned in on trying to get towards those 95, 95, 95 goals. But we're not there yet. Jared Baton leads the HIV development program at Gilead Sciences. In the EU, there are more than 15,000 new infections every year. And there are many people living with HIV who are not uh, fully suppressed on therapy. And if they're, not, if they're fully suppressed, meaning their virus is turned off because of treatment. And the reason people are not able to um, either fully treat or better prevent HIV is because the tools that we have, as good as they may be for many, many people, don't work for everyone. To reach those 95, 95, 95 goals, he says, we need to develop new ways to combat the virus. New innovations in how to engage people in, treat, in, in HIV testing, making testing more accessible, making testing more universal, how to engage people more quickly and better into HIV care, and then innovations in delivering the medicines that we have and bringing new medicines to people will get us that, that final 95 of getting 95% of people virally suppressed. We have to get to that 95, 95, 95 to be able to end this epidemic around the world and in Europe. Among those innovations are changes to how often people with HIV need to take virus-suppressing drugs. Most people right now take one or two pills a day, but that's not suitable for everyone. Daily HIV pills were transformative, taking HIV from a deadly disease to a chronic manageable disease. But pills are only good if they're taken. And we've learned too well in HIV treatment and prevention that people... um, uh, some, that sometimes life gets in the way of taking, uh, taking pills every day. And that's true for all of us, uh, right? I think, I think all of us struggle to, to take, to either to take therapies every day or go to the gym every week or, or whatever else. And the challenge for HIV is even brief gaps in taking therapy can begin to make therapy less, less effective. And when we're talking about taking pills every day for decades, if we can get something that'll make that easier, people can take can get to longer-term success much better. Pharmaceutical companies such as Gilead are developing drugs that can be taken or injected once a month or even less frequently. One of the things that we're working on is longer-acting therapies, things that a pill once a week, maybe even a pill once a month, or a shot every three or six months, things that work into people's lives, into the schedule of their lives, that could make HIV therapy not just easier, but more successful because they can take it on a schedule that works in their lives and provides all of the effective treatments and and the safety and the tolerability of the treatments that we have now. That's what we have to reach for. And that, says Christina Massani, will allow people to choose medication that fits better into their lifestyle. I think that uh, the most important thing is uh, to talk to them and to understand their needs. There will be this, the one that says, For example, I want the injection. I want the injection every two months. And the other one, I want the injection every six months. Or the other who prefer one pill once a week or one pill once a month. Uh, Having all these opportunities for treatment is fundamental because we can reach the needs of more people. Jared Baton believes that combining a greater range of treatments with more widely available testing will help combat the stigma that still gets attached to many people living with HIV. Stigma and discrimination hit all along the way in, in, for individuals living with HIV. They, may, they might stop someone from thinking about HIV testing in the first place because they don't even want to walk into a place 
where they might be where they might be recognized or they might be shamed for coming in for HIV testing. It may hit with being able to to bring home a bottle of pills to take every day because someone may find that in their medicine cabinet or at their side table. It may it may hit them f- when someone may find out something in their medical records and talk about them at work or in their community or in their family. And so the more that we can talk about how much success we have in HIV, how successful we've been in treating, how successful we've we can be in prevention, how amazing it is and how powerful it is that individuals can take control of their lives and turn, take their virus down to undetectable levels and lead full lives where they're not infectious to other people. That's where we flip stigma and discrimination on its head. Maria Jose Fuster says that stigma is still a big factor in preventing people seeking treatment for HIV. Here in Spain, the public attitudes of stigma have decreased during the years. But what I know about people with HIV is that uh, internalized stigma has not decreased. I know through my through my colleagues in NGOs that um, people with HIV have fears about being rejected. Here in Spain, uh, only 5% of people with HIV openly living with HIV and near to 20% uh, are completely in the closet. No, nobody knows that uh, the, the person has HIV. Training people with HIV to cope with stigma and discrimination is a very important part of my work. And according to Jared Baton, some groups of people who already face stigma are finding it hard to access HIV services. Infectious diseases often can track along the fault lines of our social determinants. And so populations that are more marginalized, populations that struggle with being able to access care services in general, immigrant populations, younger populations, um, populations that often are are burdened by by having to work and can't fit in HIV care into their lives. I've heard many people say to me that they struggle with taking a pill every day because they work two jobs, they have three kids, they don't have stable housing, they, they, they may not feel connected to the clinic that they go to. And something that they could take less frequently would really be the thing that could bring them to success. Maria Jose Fuster argues that better access to testing and treatment needs to be combined with wider support for people with HIV. I think it's very important for people with HIV to have social support. For example, loneliness and poor quality of life are related to poor health outcomes, and it is very well demonstrated. So I think that where uh, a lot of effort is needed to be done in this field. Things like better access to testing and treatment and increased social support are, in many parts of the world, matters for government. And in Europe, the European Parliament is spearheading the drive towards 95-95-95. Europe can be the first place to get rid of uh, HIV, and the European Parliament has confirmed these ambitions but necessary goal. Susana Solis-Perez is a Spanish politician and a member of the Renew Europe Party in the European Parliament. We will have elections soon and a new parliament, and with elections, uh, the different political groups could have take this chance to reaffirm this goal once again and include ending the HIV epidemic by 2030 and their plans. She believes that achieving that goal is a matter both of innovative healthcare and of education to combat stigma. 
People living with HIV still face challenges. We need to focus on prevention, making sure everyone can get tested and treated quickly with the best treatment. Another issue for me is uh, face access to treatment. We need to put an end to the disparities that exist, especially in certain European regions. And it is crucial that we make progress and educate the population to end stigma and discrimination. And finally, and very important, innovation is essential. We need to keep investing in R&D for an HIV vaccine that will be the definitive cure and would have a worldwide impact beyond Europe. In July this year, Spain began a six-month presidency of the European Council. And Susana Solis-Perez hopes it will use that time to bring its internal experience in fighting AIDS and HIV to other countries in the bloc. For me, this is an epidemic and we have to make sure uh, that all member states put it at the top of their political agenda. I'm very happy because Spain uh, will put this issue as a political priority in the presidency. And Spain has already done a lot of go- uh, good work and can serve as, as example. Uh, there we have a national social pact. And we have also updated a national strategy on HIV in January 2022, which cover stigma and discrimination and other topics like access to healthcare and reimbursement, for example. It would be great to get the discussion in the parliament moving and hopefully make the commission work on an action plan on HIV and AIDS. That action plan, of course, will need to be paid for. And the EU as a whole is facing difficult economic conditions. But Susana Solis-Perez feels that the bloc has no choice but to find funding for it. This is something that we cannot afford to go without. So we need more investments. We need more funds for the HIV vaccine, for example, for uh, new treatments. We need to reduce inequalities. And there are, we, we need to make sure that those plans are implemented in member states. And she says the effect of Europe moving towards the 95-95-95 goals will be felt far beyond the EU's borders. I think this is a global issue and Europe should lead the way. For me, it's a social responsibility to end with an epidemic. And if we do it in Europe, the impact will be worldwide. I know this is a difficult challenge, but if we put the resources there, we will achieve it for sure. We've come a long way since the 1990s, when an HIV infection all too often meant dying of AIDS. And the experience of people like Maria José Fuster, who's been living with HIV now for 34 years, is testament to that. As we've heard, if we're going to meet those 95-95-95 goals by 2030, there is still much to be done. But people deeply involved in the fight against HIV are optimistic. And looking back over the four decades since AIDS first appeared in the world, they're rightly proud of what's already been achieved. HIV has been the epidemic of the last 40 years. And as someone who has been alive during that entire time and who was uh, and who's a gay man with gray hair now, uh, HIV resonates tremendously with me. But as someone who has worked all over the world on HIV and has seen the impact on communities, on children, on young people, on, on society, I 
can't think of anything more meaningful to work on than leaning in towards trying to end an epidemic that we really have and can develop the tools to end in our lifetimes everywhere in the world. For HIV doctor Christina Massani, the fight against HIV has been a long one. And she still keeps in mind those first patients she worked with in the days before effective HIV care. I have to say that uh, I saw 400 people living with HIV died of AIDS. And I remember all of them. I remember all their names. I remember all of them. So I could not... uh, I mean, it's not something that I... uh, It's part of me. So it was not possible at that time to think that uh, something would have come uh, that was so revolutionary. I mean, it was a hope, but uh, it was uh, unthinkable because people, I started in 1988 and, and for eight years they continued to die. And they were so young, their parents, I mean, it was a nightmare. So... I don't need to go back. I always remember it. And for Maria Jose Fuster, the life she's been given thanks to HIV medication and the activism she's embraced helping others has, she says, become a core part of her identity. I am a a recognised woman living openly with HIV here in Spain, activist all in my work, in the university, in my social networks, in my family, my doctors, my general practitioners, every people. It's not only a lifestyle, it's a a meaning of life for me. (laughs) I'm David Baker. This special podcast episode is sponsored by Gilead Sciences and produced by Politico Studio. Archive material was courtesy of Metro Vancouver and the City of Vancouver. <laughs>